0: Most of us are walking around, we think that other people are like broken versions of ourselves. (laughs) And that's actually not true. They're actually fully functioning, fully operational versions of themselves. They're just very different than you are. They have a different perspective. Um, They're looking at life a little bit differently. And that's actually what makes things rich and what can bring about great innovation when you start talking about teams and when you start talking about working together, when you allow everyone to bring the fullness of what they have to the table.
1: Hey, this is Finding Your Venture episode number 20. Everybody I know works in teams. And when a team works well together, it is magical. But most teams don't work that way. Most teams are a real drag to be a part of. And as we head out into our careers, we know that being a leader means unlocking the potential of the people that you're working with. Some of us are naturals at that, but the rest of us need to be intentional about it, work hard at it. And most of the time, we don't do it because it feels like a waste of time. So that's what this episode's about. You're going to hear from Dawn Leakes, who's the CEO of Lioness Magazine. Lioness is a media company focused on female entrepreneurs, and Dawn is an incredibly insightful and introspective person who is a great teammate. So I want to hear about how she does that. Let's start by hearing a little bit about the company and how the team formed.
0: Hi, my name is Dawn Leakes. I am the CEO and co-founder of Lioness for the female entrepreneur, and we are an American owned news company for female entrepreneurs. We publish um, the latest news and information featuring female entrepreneurs. My business partner, uh, Natasha Zina, her background was as a reporter, and she's also been a managing editor at a newspaper. She had left news and she started a public relations company. So she was helping companies get the word out about the work that they were doing. Just coincidentally, she started working with a lot of female entrepreneurs. And so she would notice when she would get together with these women that they would be asking for best practices. You know, how did you set up your email? How did you, what's the best thing you, that you've used for your marketing? Or, you know, just asking questions. And so she was kind of like, why didn't you all read Inc. or Entrepreneur Magazine or something so you can get the answers to these questions? And so they said, we do, but those publications are geared more towards men. And so Natasha was kind of shocked by this because as a news person, she consumes all sorts of news and she never really noticed that before. And so she started a quest to find a publication that was geared specifically toward women who wanted to launch high growth startups and at that time there wasn't anything out there. And so she thought, "Oh, I could I could do this. I could I could help women in this way. I could produce a publication. She thought it would be regional here in western Massachusetts that would help women launch and scale high growth startups." And that's what she did. She she talked to several women in the community before she launched to find out if she launched something like this would they support it. And most of them said not only would they support it but they would write for it. And so I was one of those women. I was one of the first writers for the first prototype of the magazine. It was a big surprise because once she launched, she started getting press releases from all over the world. And the reason for that was because there was no one who was really trying to feature or focus on female entrepreneurs. And so at that time, she realized, wow, I have something much bigger on my hands than what I thought Natasha approached me. I was doing coaching and consulting. She approached me to do some customer development for her business. And that's just a fancy word for sales. In another life, I did used to do advertising sales for a, an online news company. So <laughs> it was a pretty good fit. And so I started doing some sales for her. About a year into that, you know, I went over to her apartment for a meeting and she asked me to leave my company and to come and run her company.
1: John was referred to me as somebody who could talk about what it means to be a great teammate. And so I asked her to start laying out what are the foundational elements that go into that. When we first
0: came together, I was working on another coaching certification and it was something that's called Enneagram. So Enneagram is a personality profiler. So it's similar to Myers-Briggs, which you may have heard of, or disk test. But the difference with Enneagram is that it not only gives you like an understanding of your behaviors and it kind of talks about this is how you are, but it also gives you the motivations behind the behaviors. It it breaks down how people work in a team, how people approach their work. Like if they think about people first, if they think about process first, um, it gives you a lot of really good information. And so took, we both took that profile. And so it's been funny to see how that's evolved over the friendship, having that information and I think the key thing is if you take a personality profile, which a lot of companies have you do, and then they don't ever do anything else with them. And so it's not as useful or as helpful as it could be. But we kind of actively brought that into the work that we were doing to really try to get a better understanding of each other. And so one of the things with Natasha is that she is a problem first person. So if you come to her and you say, you know, Well, this like this actually happened. So I had I was in the hospital. Something happened to my knee and I called her to say, hey, I'm in the hospital. Um, I'm in the emergency room. I'm trying to get my knees looked at. And her first response was kind of like, oh, like, where are we with this project? Whatever thing I was working on. And so I kind of had an eye roll like what? (laughs) But her instinct is to think about the problem or the project or the work first versus me. My instinct is always to think about the people first. So someone called me and told me that they were in the hospital, their knee was hurting. I would be like, Oh my God, are you okay? I'd be thinking about the person first. And then by the end of the conversation, I probably would come around to, um, you know, the work and you know, what are we going to do about your projects and all that kind of stuff? So I did know that about her. So I didn't, it wasn't a an offense that I held on to like, well, she doesn't care because I know that she cares. I just understood because of the, the work that we've been doing that she would think about the process first. And of course, she kind of, toward the end of the conversation said, oh, and really take care of yourself. You know, I hope that you're okay. <laughs> and so it's something that we joke about, but these are the type of things that can really hurt teens if you don't kind of understand, take the time to really understand the other person and where they're coming from.
1: Using the lessons of the Enneagram seems to be like the foundation of that trust and understanding they've built. But check out this next one. It's another strategy I think is really good. I plan to use it on my next team.
0: There was a process that I had introduced to us for decision-making because I thought we need some sort of tool in order to narrow down ideas. We're running this startup and we need to know when we're, when we're finished making a decision. And so there's something called open, narrow, close. So in the open... We bring in all the ideas possible, kind of like the brainstorming time. And the narrow, we know that we're done. No new ideas come to the table at this point. We're narrowing things down. And then um, we make a decision. We're in the close. And so I I would be coming to Natasha with a proposed solution. Like say we're looking for an email management tool or customer relationship management tool. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a system we can get. It can do this. It has all these bells and whistles. I'm talking about everything it can do. And then she would ask me a question like, oh, well, can we afford that? So this would irk me <laughs> because it would feel like, okay, you're trying to take the wind out of my sails here. I'm talking about, I'm telling you about the possibilities of this thing. And you're like down in the nitty gritty area, um, you know, in the clothes, really. I would say, Natasha, I'm still in the open. You're in the clothes. So one of the things that doing that Enneagram helped us to help me to realize about her was that she actually was not in the clothes. She was in her open. Her open started in a completely different place than mine. I would be, I like to look at the possibilities and see everything that's out there first. She likes to look at the budget to see what's possible first, you know, what can we afford first? And then she's only going to look at options that fit into what we can afford. I'm exactly the opposite. So, what we started to understand was that when we're having a meeting, there are obviously different ways people can come at things. We just wanna make sure everyone's concerns are met in the meeting. And we wanna give each other the space to be themselves and to do what they need to do. So she started to understand that, hey, I'll write my questions down because Dawn likes to really give her presentation. (laughs) She likes to talk about the possibilities. And she doesn't want to be interrupted with a very targeted, specific question at this moment. So she would start to write her questions down. And and I would start to include in my presentations a little bit more of the information that I knew Natasha would be looking for off the top. You know, what's the cost of this thing? Can we afford it? If we can't afford it, how would we get it? Things that I didn't like to really focus on until a little bit later in the process, I would bring them up a little earlier to kind of accommodate her. And so I think, you know, when we start talking about teams, this type of thing can be important because we've all been in a a team situation, a meeting where you're talking about an idea. And then there's a person that goes, well, what about this? (laughs) What about that? And it feels like that person's being negative or they're trying to take the wind out of your sails. And really this person just has a completely way of thinking about something, of looking about something. And they probably are bringing up points that could be really valid and bringing up information that you probably wouldn't have thought of yourself But maybe the timing of it makes you feel like, hey, um, I I don't want to hear about this right now. So I think when you start talking about teams, it's important to realize that most of us are walking around, we think that other people are like broken versions of ourselves. (laughs) And that's actually not true. They're actually fully functioning, fully operational versions of themselves. They're just very different than you are. They have a different perspective. Um, They're looking at life a little bit differently. And that's actually what what makes things rich and what, what can bring about great innovation when you start talking about teams and when you start talking about working together, when you allow everyone to bring the fullness of what they have to the table. You cannot reach a level of success that is higher than your level of
1: leadership. When I was talking to Dawn and she said, most of us are walking around thinking other people are just broken versions of ourselves, I was like speechless. Almost all the conflict and misunderstandings that I see around me and in my own relationships come back to that point. But when you reach those inevitable sticky points inside of a team, it's really the only way out of that argument. It's not until we truly value the other person's input and what they bring to the team that we can move forward in a positive way. When I reflect back on times when I haven't done this well, I didn't invest in my teammates. I didn't take the time up front to kind of understand myself and what I value and how it fits into my teammates. It was always because I didn't think we had time to do it. And so we just sort of like rushed off to do the work.
0: Way back, I used to watch Survivor. I watched a couple episodes. And I remember when the people first got where they were going, there would always be this argument. Because some people would just want to run off and start grabbing supplies or run off and start, you know, I don't know, building shelter. And there would always be someone to say, hey, wait, wait, what are we doing? <laughs> Let's take a minute. It's usually the person who wanted to take a minute was over, you know, had been overridden and people didn't want to, um, they didn't want to take a minute. But you could see as the show unfolded, like, wow, if they would have just taken a minute and gotten organized, they'd probably be so much stronger now. And so I think there probably are people who feel like it's, it's useless, it's pointless, it's a waste of time. I would say if you do any research on successful people, successful businesses, successful teams, they all put in that work. And so I don't want to make it seem like all this work happens like all the time, like every day, all day, we're sitting there. How can we be the best team? Because that's not not true. It really only takes a moment at the beginning to really get some clear rules and responsibilities down, to get some clear um, agreements down.
1: Yeah. Hard to argue with this, really. So as we think about doing this in class and at work, I was asking Dawn about how to define roles, what people should be working on, and I thought her response was actually really useful.
0: There's a book called Strength Finders. I think they have a a profiler that goes along with that too, where you take a little test and it tells you what your strengths are. But I like the Strength Finders methodology because it talks about really playing to your strengths, figuring out what you're good at, and then just going a hundred percent in that direction. That kind of changed my life a little bit because I think up until then I was trying to become this like super detail oriented person and I was trying to like get really good at administrative things and and I realized, hey, I'm not I'm not good at those things. <laughs> and I don't need to be giving up on trying to get really good at things I'm really bad at has been such a source of freedom.
1: And that sort of brings it full circle for me. Yep. You have to invest a little bit of time and energy up front to get to know yourself, learn about your teammates, have that communication, develop a shared language. But then you get to give up banging your head against the wall, trying to do all the things that you're not so good at. And the work you put in to become a great team has this incredible ROI because now everybody's focused on the things that they're good at, that they love doing. And that's how a team becomes more than the sum of its parts. I wanna say a huge thank you to Don for helping me see what it means to really invest in my team. Please check out Lioness Media. Ever since I met Don, I've started working Lioness into my regular media consumption and the articles are really good. In the next episode of the podcast, we're gonna be talking to another entrepreneur from Western Massachusetts. It's an incredible story from a guy named Delcy Bean that for the first time really helped me understand what mission and vision mean to a company and tangibly how it impacts the business. So I hope you'll come back. Check it out.